Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Creative Income. I'm your host, Lars Lindstrom. I'm happy you're here. I really am. I'm happy to be here. I think uh, this episode this week is probably one of my uh, podcast favorites, I'd have to say. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, Maybe it was, I, the, the, there was magic in the air. I was mountain biking, didn't realize that Jake was on a different time zone. And I saw a message. He was like, hey, are we doing this? And I was like, on the middle of a mountain. So I rushed home and I like showered off super quickly and we made it happen. But there was just this something about it, man. And it's, I mean, it's obviously Jake. He's, Jacob's doing so much so soon. He's uh, got the prism lens effects business going for him. He's got several locations uh, in and around Los Angeles. Um, And he's also shooting and directing a lot of stuff. I mean, he's really just active. And we talk about that. I, I ask him uh, near the end of the podcast, you know, what is it about you that you just, you, you get up and you just can't quit. And I, I love his answer. You're, and, and you're going to love it too. If you're new to the podcast, uh, go ahead and send me a message. I'm on Instagram, Lars Lindstrom or J Lars L. Uh, of course, you could always search Creative Income Podcast. Um, send me a message. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you do, uh, what kinds of episodes you'd like to hear in the future. Um, I just, uh, a buddy of mine yesterday, uh, Rob, sent me a, a few suggestions that I think, I don't know why I hadn't thought about them before, but yeah, so I got some really cool stuff coming up. Let's go ahead and jump in and we'll recap at the end. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. I know you're incredibly busy. Uh, I check out your Instagram and you've got like a list of a dozen businesses. <laughs> it's like, here's my businesses, yeah. go check them out. And all of them are, seem successful. All of them have like 100,000 here, 200,000 followers here. Um, I've booked some of your spaces yeah. and didn't know that they were yours. Oh, like really? Honeymoon Inn. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've shot at the That's Honeymoon cool. Inn. Um, and then you've got, yeah, of that course, place the, is... the... Oh, that place is awesome. That place just Eclectic? photographs itself. Uh, Which one? No, no, no. Uh, uh, honeymoon Inn. Oh, Honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that one's uh, the original... The original one of all the different uh, film studios. It, it used to be a house. It used to be a house back when we, uh, you know, had bought a house and turned it into the film location. And then we okay. just, it was so popular. We just ran into so many issues with the neighbors and we just had uh-huh. to sell the house. And then we got the warehouse and just basically rebuilt the house like in the warehouse. So Amazing. yeah, a lot of like, if you ever were at the original location and then you step into the, like the new spot where, you know, it's all standing sets. It's, it's weird. Cause it's like the first time we walked Identical. in there when we were done, I was like, yo, this is kind of trippy. So no, uh-huh. yeah, it's, which is bad, but it's better uh, now. Cause cool. you don't have to worry about the neighbors. You can light from the ceiling, yeah. you can light from the windows and it's all controlled. You can and- sh- and you can yeah. shoot as long as you want. Like that was the big mm-hmm. thing is like time, like sh- crews were not allowed to shoot past 10. And I can't tell you how many crews wanted to shoot, you know, later and do night shoots and into, and you just, it was not allowed. And, and even during the day, like cops were being called, uh, even when there was permits and it was just, it was a yeah. nightmare. And ultimately, so that's something, yeah, we had to deal with, but that was the very first location. And honestly, what spawned doing all of the other locations was, was that one. So, so we'll get, we'll yeah. get into all that. I want to start a little yeah, bit further yeah. back, uh, kind of, the, and obviously we're going to talk about prison lens effects as well, but, um, okay. uh, where did you, where did you come from? How'd you get started in this, in this crazy industry? I really just always grew up liking like most kids who like 
filmmaking or videos. I like grew up with a camera in my hand, always just shooting random stuff around my neighborhood with, you know, my brother and friends and family and making little monster movies, filming our Hot Wheels cars and making our own little Fast and Furious things. And so I kind of always just was drawn to that and liked that. And then in high school, I made a video for the football team and the pep rally and played like on the, <laughs> you know, the big screen and everyone that that was like kind of the moment where it was like oh this is what i want to do for my job for a living because yeah. all day long i had like teachers and students coming out to me like yo that was so crazy like you you need to make videos like that's what and so then i went to asu's film school or went to asu went to the film school there had a terrible film school experience but luckily um during Why? my time there i had it was just the teachers were just I don't think that experience, they were very belittling, at least to me, like, cause I'll, yeah. I'll get to it in a second. But, uh, and then like the equipment that you had access to was like very minimal and the best camera you had or access to was a DSLR and like, mm -hmm. like a 5D at the time, there was no like real actual like camera cameras. And so I don't know, just all in all, it was, it was not the greatest experience. And I think mainly because of what I'm about to say right now is I had met a friend in high school, but we reconnected in college who did music. He was like, yo, you go to film school, right? Have you ever done a music video? Like I need a, I need a music video. I was like, all right, I guess. And so this was really the start of my career because we did that music video, put it out. I made a YouTube channel and it kind of locally took off because there wasn't hmm. really anyone doing low budget music videos that looked good. And yeah. all of a sudden I started getting all these local artists hitting me up to do music videos. So I started ditching class to go get paid to do these music videos or travel to LA and do a video. And, and so yeah. my teachers did not like that. And like, I, <laughs> you know, remember one of them called me into their office hours and was like, yo, you're not following that curriculum. Like I could fail you right now. And it's like, I am like doing what I came to I'm basically succeeding. to film school to do. Like I'm, I'm making I'm money. Make, yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was crazy. I remember, I'll never forget it. And I've told the story before, but he's like, I could show your stuff to five directors I know right now. And they would all say it sucks. That's okay, I could what show you to five and they would say that's great. That's the thing about film yeah. was it's subjective. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what my oh. directing teacher had told me. And it's like, had I been a young, I mean, I was young. Had I been super impressionable and not believed in myself or like that could be detrimental to my career right Absolutely. there, that one line. Absolutely. And luckily I... I didn't feel that way. And the YouTube numbers were telling me otherwise. And so I just kept on. And then I'm after graduating ASU, I went to LA and pursued it full time and made a career basically as a, a music music video director. That was so you start. stuck it out yeah, though. You, kind of the, you, you graduated from ASU. Yeah. I wanted to drop out. I even told my mom, she'll, she'll mm -hmm. confirm that. And I had one year <laughs> left and I was like ditching class and I was missing out on opportunities in LA because they're like, Oh, you're, you're not in LA. You're still in school. Like, let us know when you're in LA. And I'm like, mom, I just need to get out there. And, uh, I stuck it out, finished it through. And then, yeah, as soon as I graduated, moved out to LA solo, which was very, very scary for me. I had never lived. I mean, even my house is right where I grew up is right down the street from where I'm at right now. Um, and, and is all of maybe five minutes from ASU. So it's like, I never, mm. my whole life was very much a homebody, never lived far from home. College was close to home. So like, that was a big risk for me to like move to a different state by myself and pursue this, even though I was already like making money doing it it was still very very scary and um yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't easy in that regard and sense but yeah once i moved to la things just kind of took off for me yeah that's awesome so uh were you a, a dp director like duo 
uh, for these music videos that you were shooting? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty much all me just running gun, you know, producing, shooting, directing, editing, doing everything. And then it was right when I moved pretty much almost instantaneously when I moved to LA, um, I met a guy, Tom Taher, who is my business partner in like all of these, you know, companies and businesses now. And he had was still in film school at Chapman down in the OC there. Mm. And he just, you know, took out a loan to buy a scarlet, a red scarlet camera. And was just like, Met, we met through a mutual friend. He's like, Hey, any, any gig you have, even if it's not paying, like, I just, I want to shoot and you're doing all these videos. So let me just anything you got. And we just started shooting everything together and we haven't stopped since. So, yeah. But that's when I started getting a little team. Yeah. Talk to me about the value of yeah. doing something for free like that. Cause I, I, we've talked about that a lot, a lot. It's been a common theme on the podcast. Like how do you know when you're being taken advantage of and how do you know when something could be like a lifelong business partnership? Um, like saying, like, see, like he, he saw something in you and goes, Hey, even if it's a free gig, even if I'm not getting paid, I want to, I've got this camera. I want to come shoot your stuff. Like talk to me about the value of looking for those opportunities. Yeah. I think it's, it's, looking for and recognizing those opportunities and, and kind of analyzing them in a way, right? Like he saw, oh, wow, this guy's shooting these music videos all the time. This is how, you know, I'm trying to get into music videos. This is how I build my portfolio as a DP. This is how I get on more sets. So in Tom's instance, he saw like, cool, like this is a good opportunity for me to build my reel, to grow, to learn, to get on the sets, to connect with other people. And he saw value in that and it yeah. paid off for him. Same, same thing for me, like when I was coming up, all the early music videos I did for like Futuristic, Kyle, et cetera, which ended up blowing up my YouTube channel. They both became huge artists. I did all their videos for free because I was in the same boat. It's like after I did the first one, I was like, oh, there's potential here. Like, I'll, And so these cool artists that I wanted to work with, I would reach out to and be like, hey, I just want to shoot your video, da, 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 da. But the stuff that I was doing for them would get me paid work from these other people that would find me you know, on YouTube mm-hmm. or locally or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I would just always go out and with artists that I wanted to you know, work with, I liked their music, I thought they were cool. I would shoot them free videos. And then- uh, How are you, you know, making the, money the work when you're doing all the free videos that. at the- at the front, uh, when you well, were first starting this, like, how would you make money? For me, it happened very quickly because the f- the first few videos I obviously did for free for these artists, but there was no one doing it here. And so right away, I had local artists like, yo, I need a video. How much do you charge? And then I would charge them, but it was literally like 200 bucks. We'd go yeah, out, yeah. we'd go out to like w- one location somewhere, shoot a video, I'd edit it, put it together and give it to them. And that just, it, I would started getting these $200 videos, $300 videos from other artists. All the while, I'm also doing these free videos for Futuristic and Kyle, knowing these are going on my YouTube channel. And we kind of had like an unspoken rule and agreement that like, hey, I'll do your guys' videos for free. They just need to go on my YouTube channel. And I just would also, then my YouTube channel platforms? started. Would, no. Would they go on just my YouTube well? channel? Just yours. Wow. This, so wow. this is 2000. This has got to be like 2000. 10. So a, a lot of young artists didn't really have their own YouTube channel like that, especially the yeah. artists I was working with. So it's like, mm. I already had the channel and it's like, cool, I'm going to do this for free, but it's going on my YouTube channel. You don't have to pay for it. And I started growing a buzz on my YouTube channel where we're having, mm. you know, tens of thousands to hundred thousands of subscribers. I then even had it had artists that were paying me 
to do their videos, want to put their video on my channel on your because page the, to get exposure. Because the buzz, <laughs> yeah, because the buzz was really growing. There was dope music, dope artists, dope videos. So people saw it as a place to like, you know, kind of grow a little bit of a buzz. And yo, we're on the Buff Nerds YouTube channel. Like, go check out our new music video. And it like it kind of became this yeah. little like collective and hub for like dope music videos, dope music, dope artists. And so ultimately down the road too, talking about like how doing free work and building relationships can pay off because we had that kind of unspoken rule. It's like, Hey, you guys don't ever have to pay for videos. They just got to go on my channel. Like probably a couple years later, I started making a lot of money off YouTube when these videos started hitting 1 million views, 5 million views, 10 million views. We were doing crazy numbers. And it's something I look back on now and I'm like, how, how does, how did we get 20 million views? Like there's certain A-list artists that don't even get that now. And so I think I just kind of hit a right moment in time and I I hustled, but it was also, there wasn't really. Did you see the value in it before? Like, could you see like, Oh, like if I, if I like, how did you know to negotiate that? How did you have the faith that that would blow up like that? Or did you? I didn't. There was was, was, dark. Yeah. Yeah. Shot in the dark. I don't, I didn't have any preconceived ideas or notions of like, Oh yeah, these are going to be huge one day. The artists are going to be huge. (laughs) The videos are going to be huge and I'm going to make all this money. It was just, uh, something I love to do. And I was, you know, wanting to work on my craft and shoot better and cooler videos to lead me to other artists. And it was just, I just love doing it. And I think just, uh, it really showed through in the, you know, my work and then the YouTube channel and it just, grew naturally and organically to the point where, yeah, these artists, two of the artists I worked with, you know, on a regular basis started blowing up. And now all of a sudden we're getting millions of views on videos on that were going on my channel. And now I'm making the money from those and they still get free mm-hmm. videos. So it's like, it's like a win-win. They don't have to pay for anything. And it's like, they get the exposure, I, you know, they get the downloads, they, they get the Spotify. Yeah. 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 So um, it was, what were some, a cool situation. Some of the, do you remember like what YouTube, was it, uh, enough uh, money from ad revenue to sustain a lifestyle at that point or any point in your YouTube history or was it not really? Yes, it, it definitely was. I mean, obviously when it first started out, like I think, you know, the first time I had gotten any AdSense money in a YouTube check and I think it was in the mail from Google, whatever. And it was like close to $300 or right around $300. And I was like, this is crazy. Like what? Cause <laughs> I was just, amazing. I was just like, I was just, a, gosh, how old I'm might've been, 18, 19, 18 years oh, old. Man, so I'm like super young. Yeah, I was probably 18. And I'm like, cool, I'm getting paid to do these music videos. These ones are on my YouTube channel. I'm making money from them. Like this is this is tight. And I'm just a kid like going to school. Like, so <laughs> yeah, at that point, that's not enough to sustain a lifestyle. But once the videos mm-hmm. start, like once we're averaging 10, 20, 30 million views a month, like kind of fluctuating mm-hmm. between those numbers, like, yeah, absolutely. That was sustainable. But I always had the foresight to go, this isn't going to last forever. I'm not going to yeah. be doing these, directing these music videos forever, uploading to YouTube. At some point, people are going to lose interest. Like the, I just know there's life cycles within things, right? You can't, nothing, nothing lasts forever. And so yeah. I was always very frugal with my money. I never recklessly spent it. I saved it all. And ultimately, I bought my first house with it when I was like, I think 24, 25, and used that money to, yeah, buy a house instead of like, you know, buy a nice car or watches or clothes or blow it on with going out with friends. Like I just saved my money. And then I rolled that into yeah an Airbnb property, which rolled into a second one, which rolled into my first film film property, which 
So I don't know. I always we, had the foresight of just going a lot of ground in uh, in one yeah. sentence. That's uh, yeah. So how? Who taught you that? Who taught you to save your money? Was that something that you your your parents did growing up, or was that something you just kind of figured like? Is that something a teacher maybe told you or someone like, hey, the film industry is feast and famine. You got to save your pennies while you're making money. And then like who who taught you that? That's a good question. I don't think honestly anyone taught me that. I think mm-hmm. I just, I was, I was raised really well and my parents weren't also like, you know, just, uh, we're, we're probably middle class, like, but like they didn't sure. go endlessly spend money or like drop like, oh we want this and buy it for us like it what you know and so i think i was just used to like hey you don't just go out and spend money recklessly i think i was just innately that was just built or worked within me it was never taught to me though by by anyone um and yeah i just i don't know i guess i just had the foresight of myself to like be smart to be out i don't need all this random shit or stuff like i i want to save my money and build for the future. And cause I always had bigger dreams and aspirations beyond just even making videos. Like I've always been super creative and like, even when I was a kid, like I've done an interview before where I talk about it. I used to like build my, or make and build my own like, uh, magazines and like I would draw my own golf courses. I built my own board games and had them laminated, created them from scratch. I was just always building and <laughs> I was just always, I dude, I have it. They're not in this closet. They might be in the closet <laughs> next door. I have like a whole like board games laminated that I created out of thin air and like with it's crazy. And anyways, so it's just, I was always drawn to like building, making, creating things. And I knew to do that, like you're going to need money to do that kind of stuff. And you can't just, so I don't know. I just always kind of saved my money. And I remember you can even ask my mom. I bet she would tell you that like, I remember telling her like, this isn't going to last forever. Cause she was, she said something about something. I was like, no, I'm saving that money. Like, I don't want to, go do that anyway. So, so it was your mom. Your yeah, mom you, it was your mom that taught you everything. <laughs> yeah. Subconsciously. Oh, for awesome. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I will ask her. Yeah. When we get off the phone, I'm yeah. going to give her a call. <laughs> um, so, so you, you took, you, where's your first house? Where did you buy your first house? Here in Tempe, Arizona, not too far from here. Um, kind of over okay, by ASU. And, you, and then at how long before you turned that into an Airbnb? And were you able to like a, pull some cash out, like refi and pull some cash out for the next place? Is that what you did? Or did you so save enough money for they, another down payment? Uh, yeah, here's exactly what happened. So I bought it because I was coming back and forth. This is I had at this point lived in LA. I just moved to LA, mm-hmm. uh, been there for about a year or two now. And I'm still always coming back to Arizona because that's where my family is from. And I was just always crashing at my parents' house. And I was just like, all right, I'm... I'm 20, yeah, what was I? That was 2025 at the time. So I'm like, I'm 25. I can't always just be like coming back to my parents' house. I need my own spot. I, I have enough money saved up. I could probably buy a spot. And so uh, went and saw a couple spots, bought this place and furnished it all up with no intention of it being an Airbnb by any means at all. And I was going out to LA for like a month and a half to do a bunch of different videos and just connect and work. And my mom was just like, oh, you should throw it on Airbnb while you're gone. And I was like, oh yeah, like I'll do that. And I went in took some photos, put it on Airbnb. And because of where I, I mean, Tempe, Arizona is a hotbed. You have ASU, you have yeah. just so many ba- like just events and golf tournaments. And, oh, yeah. uh, you have yeah. the minor or not minor league baseball. What's the that's preseason. Uh, anyways, whatever. You have yeah, a lot of stuff yeah, going the, on. And training. It, the, it's like the it, training. Yeah. yeah, spring training. Yeah. There we go. Jeez. Spring training. Yeah. And it exploded and like it was just booked <laughs> like nonstop. And I I 
gave it to my mom to like manage. And so my mom started managing it for me while I was gone and, you know, cleaning up or making sure people, you know, she would clean in and, uh, or clean up after guests and check people in. And so, so far that sounds like the, uh, MVP of this entire podcast. Yeah. She, she always, she always supported everything I did and like was never like, Oh no, that's not, that's not a good idea or this or that. And so anyways, she, she was running that for me. I had it for a year and every, every month I was making money on it. Like not, not Mm -hmm. anything crazy, but I was paying the mortgage plus maybe making 1500 bucks like profit, maybe some months more. It depended, depended on the month. Like there were some months where I might've made like three. Right. But anyways, and so I saved up all that money um, over the course of that year. And then the next year I just put a down payment on another house with that money from the, that I saved from the Airbnb. I didn't spend it. I just saved it. And so that was the down payment for the next Airbnb. And then 20, 20%, 25% down. Yeah. 20, 20. So I didn't have to pay mortgage insurance. And then, uh, that was something my mom taught me, you know, just going through the whole process. She's like, (laughs) yeah, "Yeah, you got to put down 20% if you don't want to pay mortgage insurance, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. (laughs) So now I have these two spots and now it's, um, you know, I think I'm, 26 at the time. And I just started dating this girl. And now I, uh, was, uh, you know, still out in LA all the time. And, um, I held those properties for like a couple years. And then I was like, dude, I need a place out in LA now. Cause I was just renting, mm-hmm. staying with some friends, but now I have a, a girl, um, you know, and we just decided, like I decided to buy a place. So I would have my own space in LA and that was the honeymoon. Um, and, and I no think way. the reason I, I think the reason I bought it was for two reasons. One, I wanted my own spot in LA and not to be in mm-hmm. a house with five five dudes and like just, you know, especially now that I'm serious with her. But then also like I kind of the light bulb moment switched when I was on set one day doing a music video production. I was like, I'm paying $300 an hour. My production company is paying mm-hmm. $300 an hour to be at this location. I need to do that. Like I'm getting yeah. 150, I'm getting 150 to 200 bucks a night. Uh, just a night at this spot when per, I could be getting that yeah. per, I could get that per hour. And so yep. the light bulb moment kind of went off. So I sold the first house that I had bought and used that money from the sale, got my down payment back. The property had gone up like 80,000 in value over the course of those three years. So awesome. I made a good, I made a good chunk of change and I literally took all that money from the sale of that house and bought the LA house and turned that into you, the honeymoon Inn, which was you, my first film you studio. You bought it specifically for the vibe. Was it like a pristine 1950s? Like, it was yeah. from built in the built in the sixties, like okay, late sixties, yeah. late sixties. And it had never been with another owner, same owner. She was like 90 oh. something years old. And so there was like a frame, a frame gold cart, the gold carpet that's in the honeymoon spot the studio now currently is from the house. So like when you I was moving out, renovated. I you just, were like, I want this I just, carpet. <laughs> I just, I just took the carpet. I asked the guy yes. who was buying it. I asked the guy who was buying it. I was like, what are you going to do with the house? He's like, Oh, I'm going to like tear, gut like it. renovate completely yeah. gut it. And so I was like, can I have the carpet? And he's like, yeah, if you pull it out. And I was like, can I also have the kitchen cabinets? He's like, yeah, if you pull them out. Yes. So the kitchens, the kitchen yes. set that's in the new honeymoon spot is the original cabinets from the house. We just built it put it all together and um in the set but that so the carpet and the kitchen Brilliant. cabinets and everything and that fridge are all from from the house the original house but but yeah so that was the house that we we did it we spent it was not it was very scary because it's like dude i'm spending so much money to do this what if no Can one you even talk books about this some place? of the numbers do you do you remember any of like uh what you were spending yeah. to build it and yeah 
if you're comfortable so I bought the house yeah. no that's fine i'm i'm super oh, yeah. open and honest about anything there's a lot of people that like like to like hide things i, uh-huh. I don't care um Good. it was 735,000 to buy so i put 20 percent down i don't know what the i'm really bad at math offhand it's what like the, 150 down payment Close is to 150 100. yeah so that was pretty much all the money from the sale of the that first house because I got my mm-hmm. down payment back and then plus the, a little bit of the profit. So basically all of that money went to like paying the down payment on this LA home. And then I yeah. want to say probably spent like, gosh, I, I don't want to be off somewhere between, this is going to be a very big range, somewhere between 50 to 75K just in like, Vintage furniture pieces, yeah. uh, you know, painting, so you really, just different. You, you know, really leaned in to that like 1960s, oh, pristine. Oh, it's all authentic. To, yeah. I yeah. went super authentic. Like I, I went to like vintage, you know, stores around LA, vintage flea markets and things. Like it's not like West Elm furniture that looks vintage. Like it was all yes. very much so yeah. like vintage stuff. And that was like the biggest compliment that we got. Production crews that would come through there was like, yo, this plate, the detail and level, like the detail of this place, the authenticity, like people, there were oftentimes would be, because it was our house, we lived there, we'd always be there when crews were coming <laughs> in and we'd be the site reps and you would just hear the crews talking. Like, do you think someone lives here? Like, do do people live <laughs> here? Like, or is this, a, they didn't know if like people live there, if it was a set or what. And, uh-huh. and um, but yeah, right away, I mean, we had some big crews come through there. We had like a, right away like a big three-day adidas commercial that was really huge mm. we had marvel came through and did a documentary cool. and they interviewed like Gosh. lou ferrigno and different like and all of a sudden it was like all all we wanted to happen was like we wanted to pay our mortgage with the bookings which at the time uh-huh. was like i think 3500 it was like if that gets covered i'm chill like as long as i don't have to pay for a place to live here in la and have a house like and then i can use Dope. it for my own productions like that's all i want that's all i expected uh-huh. going into it i didn't expect to like turn it into a business and make a ton of money and it just started printing for us and <laughs> then it was like literally did you literally did you buy it with someone did you buy it with a business partner or did you buy it yourself no no just myself yeah. and yeah. so then about you're probably making almost thirty five hundred dollars. You're probably almost making the mortgage every day. Yeah, house. I mean, because you'd have shoots if you had a big shoot come through. I mean, like that Adidas shoot that shot there for the three days. I think that was like a, a seven thousand dollar booking because yeah. the three they they had three three full days plus a like a build and tear down half day. Like so, it was wow. it was quite quite big. But yeah, I mean, there would be like stuff like that, and it was like just like okay, there's something again, just realizing there's something here into this like film location thing. And so it wasn't more than five months into it uh, that, you know, Chanel, my now wife jokingly was just like, Hey, we should, we should do another one. And I'm like, don't tell me, don't tell me that. Like, so I was immediately she, was hop she on living in that, uh, Was she living in that house at the time? Yeah. Yeah, with me. With you. Yeah, we were living yeah. in it. It was what weird, was, man. Was, like, was she? Was she like, I'm down. Like, this is fun. Uh, this is cool. Oh, she I, was I like this. Or she, yeah, she was the one that held it down. She was because I had a a name and a reputation for myself, and like, I still was, you know, knew a lot of these people that are either like a degree away or that are coming to shoot and book, and so I tried to remove myself from like the booking side of it. So it wasn't like, Oh, you know, Jake's being an asshole. Like, because you know, we had to be very strict with the rules and how to, you can't, you know, it's like, anyways. Yeah. So she handled all that and she loved it. She, she did a really good job at it and she still does it. But jokingly, she was like, yeah, we should do another. And so we were headed 
that same day she said that we're like driving down to a flea market and I hop on Zillow and I just start pinch zooming around in the desert because I knew I always wanted like a cool desert property. I literally on the way there to the flea market, found the spot, called the realtor. I was like, hey, can I come see this at the top of like tomorrow or Tuesday? Because it was Sunday at the time. And I went and saw it and I was like, oh, I I need this place. And literally was it made just an offer land, that week. Or was, it, was it a house? A little bit it? of both. Yeah. So on okay, yeah. in my bio, there's there's yeah, you'll find the spot. It's called the Eclectic West. And it's like yeah. my desert film ranch. That's one of the other ones. And yeah, it's it was 40 acres. Uh, there was a cabin on it and like kind of some shed looking structures, um, which I just saw as like, oh, that's gonna be a gas station, that's gonna be a convenience store, you know what I mean? And so I pulled the trigger. I uh I literally bought it. The only way you could buy it was a cash offer and they couldn't oh. sell they couldn't sell the property though as really like a house because the cabin was like I guess built by hand Condemned. and never totally like <laughs> permitted or I don't know, but basically yeah. they had to like sell it as the land. And so I basically just 40 acres bought it ca- cash. How much was the how much was that purchase? Do you remember? 135,000. How? It, where? Where is? Because I, I've seen, of course, all the photos and videos from the eclectic. But uh, like, where? Yeah. Where is it? It's in Adelanto, just kind of by the El Mirage Dry Lake bed. Um, and yeah, I think it, I think it was a mixture of just the right timing mixed with like the type of property and land it was, and them wanting to get rid of it. And it was just like I stumbled across it and. I saw the opportunity and I was like, I can't pass this up. And but Absolutely. while I, after, as I'm buying it, I'm signing the paperwork, and even right after that, where I'm like, okay, now I have now I have this, I have to turn it into you know a studio, dude. I was a I was kind of a wreck because it was just like, <laughs> is this the is this the dumbest thing I've ever done? Is anyone gonna come book out here? I'm, I'm sinking all this time and money into this. What if no one like just just completely doubting the idea myself a little bit, but also like, no, no, it's gonna be great. Like I know what I what I would shoot here and what I'm gonna shoot here. And if I wanna shoot here, other people will wanna shoot here too. And yeah, just kind of slowly chugged. I would drive out there by myself work on putting it together, building shit, cleaning it up and taking photos, listing it on peer space. And Chanel, my girlfriend was like not involved with that one. She thought it was a dumb idea. <laughs> she she oh, thought it wow. was not the smartest, <laughs> the smartest idea. Um, you have, you and, have like an airplane yeah, set it, out there, like a crashed airplane. Yeah. Like where did you, where did you buy an airplane and how did you get Dude, it out there? Everything just kind of came together. I got super lucky. I told the realtor while I was seeing the property, she was like, so why do you want this place? And I was like, uh-huh. oh, well, like I have a film location and I want to turn like this into like a film location. I think it could be really cool. And I would love to like one day like do like an airplane crash set and this. And she goes, oh, wow. Funny you say that. Uh, she goes a mile down the road right there. There's an airplane boneyard. And no. so I just... I just drove a mile down the road and I walked onto the property and it's just this boneyard of just thousands of different plane parts. Oh, and I just, I Jake, was like, Hey, do you guys like, story. that's, that's a true not, story. You, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I asked him, I was just like, Hey, do you, would you guys sell this stuff or do you guys sell this stuff? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, can you drive down the road and meet me? Like, I want to show you like what the property I have. I would like to buy some plane parts. 
And so they came over and saw it. And I just walked around the property with him at, at their property. And I was like, I want that. I want that. I want that. Like, what's that going to cost? And I just started, I started small. And then like, yeah, maybe two months would go by and I might buy two more pieces and add to it. And so kind of what you see now is a culmination of a couple of years of like buying pieces here and there. And so. How much, yeah. how much was it? How much was this airplane I, that's, crash? That's, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I don't know for sure. I just, but for example, like the big, no nose piece of the plane was like seven thousand. The tail, okay, four or five thousand. So the the ch- buying twenty seats of chairs might be a couple grand. Like so, it was so maybe a twenty grand, twenty five grand. Yeah, I would say All over in. that. Just okay. with everything that I have there, I would say over that in total. Yeah, I would say probably closer somewhere between thirty and forty currently. Um, uh, yeah, if not, if you, not more. Talk to me about the the risk. Um, I'm going through this right now too, where it's just like risk, risk can be scary. You know, it's like, especially the oh, yeah. older I get, like I'm, I'm 37. I got a couple of kids and a wife and stuff. And so like yeah. the older I get, the less risk I want to take. And so you had that advantage yeah. going for you where you were younger, you didn't have kids, you weren't even married at the time maybe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and talk to me about the risk reward, uh, uh, factor and, and just taking that leap of blind faith of sinking 140 into the land and maybe 30 grand into the airplane set. And who knows another hundred grand on some of the other sets. Like how did you know that was going to pay off? I mean, I didn't really, I think with everything I try and do, I look at it from the perspective of like, one is the something I want to do, because if it's something I don't want to do, it's going to be really hard to be successful at that thing. If it's not something you want to do, if you're doing it yeah. because you're like, Oh, I can make some money doing this. You're it's, it's going, it's going to be a lot harder to make that thing successful or be successful at that thing. And so it was something that I wanted to do. It was that creative part of me. Like I talked about when I, I was a kid that was always wanting to build and make things. I was like, I just, I want to fucking build an airplane crash. Like that's like, <laughs> so something <laughs> it was something I wanted to do, but also I kind of look at it from always from the perspective of like, is this something as a filmmaker, photographer, creative, I would want to use. And if I can answer yes, then I know there's going to be thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other people that feel the same and will probably. And I kept coming back to like, yeah, like I would, if this was here, I would use that. And so that was kind of just, how I looked at it. And yeah, I mean, there was no guarantee it would, would work or people would drive all the way out there. And, but they, they did. I, I think if you build something cool enough, like, like it's that old saying, like build it and they will come kind of thing. Right. And for me, yeah. it's like, I just I have to build as cool of a thing where it's like, people are willing to travel. It's like people travel to certain places because of yeah a certain hotel or an experience or whatever. And it's like, if I can just build something cool enough where a filmmaker or photographer is like, I have to shoot there they'll they'll make the drive and lucky enough for me they they did and do you know so is there is there logistically <laughs> like is there a place for them to stay like uh close by no it's hotel, it's not like or anything? yeah it's it's not like out in the middle of nowhere where you have to drive hours and hours to get there it's like an hour and a half outside la um 30 minutes from you know a s- small town or what you know that has hotels and stuff so accommodations yeah i mean yeah. i you do you do it all the time like you do a day trip out there shoot all day and drive home yeah. it's not it's not that that difficult so um yeah Amazing. it's not like it's 5 hours from nowhere so you're but in the meantime talk to me about like did you ever buy equipment to shoot with or was that just like 
something that you were like, I can do this on a DSLR. Dude, I, I was not, video. yeah, I was not much of a gearhead, even still to this day, like in terms of like gear that I own, like it's very minimal. Um, you know, I'm, I, it's so funny. I'm so, I'll so easily buy a house or spend money renovating my house or doing this or doing that. But like, I will not drop money on gear. I don't know what it is. I just bought, not to like sound like whatever. I just bought a $10,000 sauna for my home gym, but yet there's like a, there's some the new lens I want. That's like two grand and I won't buy it. Like, like I don't, nah, I don't know. Nah, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't know what it is. I'm just, I've never been that way. Um, and I probably should. That's so, probably... That's so fascinating. No, no, no. I'm not saying, I mean, like it sounds like yeah. whatever you're doing, Jake is, seems to be working. So, so don't change a thing on, yeah. on my account, but, yeah. uh, I, so I'm a gear. I'm a gearhead. Like I, I yeah. sink all of my money back into gear. You know what I mean? I've got yeah. Alexas. I've got trucks. I've got lights. Right. I've got you know. It's like seven sets of lenses. Like that's that's where wow. I spend all my money. And and now I'm kicking myself that I didn't buy more film locations. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah, I should. Do you, I've I've got a question for you. Do you like sure. do you do well with the lenses? Because I've always, that's something I've always been intrigued by is like, lenses, I would love to have a like set. A slow trickle, right? So like yeah. something flashy, like a camera, you should expect to make your money back in two to three years. If you can't do it, don't buy it. Um, lenses mm. for me, it's like plan on five to 10 years, depending on the lens set. You know, it's like the higher end lens sets. Gotcha. Um, but some of these lens sets, I mean, like we're still shooting super speeds. Those are 50 years old. You know what I mean? And so if you're- if See, you're I feel like that's a great- speeds, I feel like that's a smart investment. Lenses, like if there was one piece of gear that I would like want to get into, I'm just Lenses. not, again, I'm not a huge gearhead. So it's like, I'm yeah. not the most knowledgeable about like what lenses I should get and for what reason, what could rent out or do I even rent them out? Like, I don't know. I'm just not the most versatile in that way. And it sounds like you are. Yeah. And so again, it's like, it's get into what you know, right? Get into what you love, what you're good at. Like mm. I, I haven't ever jumped into that because it's like, I'm not a super gearhead and I don't want to spend all this money on lenses and then be like, fuck dude, why did I do this? Like, I don't know anything about <laughs> renting them out or doing, I don't know, you know, but it's always something that's piqued my interest. Cause I was like, I would love to have a nice set for myself that I can use on projects, but also then maybe rent out, make money. And then if one day I want to get rid of them, it is an asset that you can, you know, sell totally. as well. Like, like, cause like, I know lenses and, and hold their if value. You, if you buy right, Exactly. And some, it's like, if you buy vintage, anything vintage is, is going to hold its value, but things do come in yeah. and out of popularity. That's the, that's the scary yeah. part. So it's like, you can go buy yeah. a set of K35s right now, which are a vintage full frame set of lenses by Canon, you know, that are 50, 60 years yeah. old. Um, and you'll pay 300 grand for them. You know what I mean? And that's Jeez. like, where, where t 10 years ago, they were 30 grand, you know? So it's like the value just went absolutely crazy and it might it might come crashing wild. back down when they come out of popularity so it's like that's that's the scary part i think something like hmm. like super speeds or um you know i don't even even th anything re it's like signature primes or anything like that like those will hold their value for a long time the signature primes is there a set a little bit and what's is that? there a set that you've is there a set that you've bought in that has like kind of gone way up in value or or anything like no. that or no, you know, no 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 i i there's not a set though that's lost a lot of value so i i think i'm i'm pretty much just like that that money trickles in okay. 
and it uh, if I finance the set of lenses, it pays for the it pays for the payment, and it's just kind of a long yeah. game, you know. So I'll do I'll do like a three year loan on a set of uh, on the lenses. Um, that was actually yeah, a question like, I had yeah, for you was do you finance them or do you buy them straight depends, up? Depends, you know. So you there's it, like so. like the signature primes that I bought were like 240 grand. So yeah, we finance those, you know. And so right, right. Um, and that's just like wow. a slow trickle, slow trickle, and it's like yeah. maybe over five years they'll pay themselves off completely, and then it's just great after that you know and so nice um is there a specific rental house you leave them housed at or like yeah yeah so i've i uh i've tried i've I've got a couple so i've got um i've got my cook uh pink rose over at old fast glass um nice mark most most of my stuff yeah yeah absolutely love mark um and then i've got most of my most of my stuff's over at boca okay cool i know them too that's dope yeah that's so, awesome. but I want to, I want to jump back a little bit. So you're, it, you're building this incredible thing because ultimately you want somewhere dope to shoot, but you know, people will come mm-hmm. because you think it's going to be yeah. cool. Um, so, yeah. so you build this, do you start shooting there first? Do you put it up on pure space? Yeah. How does that talk to me about some of that stuff? And we, man, we haven't even gotten to prison, prison lens I effects. Know. This is, we've got so much we, to cover. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I put it, yeah, I put it up and then, yeah, nat- that's the one cool thing is that anything you could do that vertically integrates what you do. It's like, obviously I'm a filmmaker and I direct music videos. So the first thing that I do is like, cool, the next artist that hits me up, I'm going to come up with a treatment that fits yeah. the eclectic West. And, and so yeah, start shooting music videos there, promoting, making, you know, I don't think at the time Instagram reels, reels wasn't a thing. So it's just posting right. on Instagram and, and throwing it in, you know, um, on social media and whatnot and promoting it naturally and organically that way. And then also word of mouth just starts to spread through mutual friends within the industry and whatever. And yeah, it starts to pick up and, and, and take off. And then that led into those two spots I did by myself, uh, honeymoon and eclectic. And then obviously my wife was involved or girlfriend at the time was involved, but then Tom, who is you know, the, my DP who I came up with and very much, we still are working on all these projects and stuff together. And right at the, this time of these two film locations, we're like starting prism as well, like starting the prototyping and kind of figuring out what we're going to do with that. And he was just, uh, yeah. So we're in the middle of doing that at this point too, like getting that off the ground. And then he's like, dude, I want to, I want to be involved with a film location. And he's like, how do let's do it. Let's get a spot. And then that's what led to the barracks. And that was our third spot, the barracks and Tom, um, and that's barracks. what, yeah. So the barracks was like LA at the time we're in a different spot now, but it was a tiny like shed. Basically we called it the red shed barracks and it was right next to our prism lens effects warehouse, which was more of like <laughs> a shared w- workspace inside of like a grungy LA warehouse, like 250 square feet, but it was right mm-hmm. next door and we had leased that out and built, took listing photos, did a little test shoot, threw it on pure space. And that was like our third location and our first location together. And that was called the barracks. And that's when we formed BN locations, which is buff nerd locations. Um, and then, uh, that led into a couple more studios after that. But that was like kind of the start of Tom getting involved with me with some of the, the film properties as well. Um, all the while we're still, we're getting prism off the ground too. So yeah, yeah it was well, talk quite about a crazy who, time. Who, who had the idea of prism and, and, and kind of the need in the industry? Were you at this point for your music videos, like throwing little like prisms in front oh, of yeah. the lens to get refractions yeah. and kind of dirty the, uh, the image up a little bit. And then oh yeah, who, who came up with yeah. the idea like, Hey, it'd be cool if we like, I don't know, threw a quarter 20 on this thing, or maybe made it a f- yeah. four by five, six filter. Like, 
Talk to me about some of those beginnings. Yeah. So it was, like I said, we're shooting all these music videos. We have these locations, but mainly shooting these music videos and using like the, the main thing we used a lot is we would take a full split diopter and like hold the top ring and like, just kind of like dodge it in front of the glass, move it around. And then we would uh-huh. also, you know, just random things. Like we'd take a clear light bulb with like the filament with the curly cube, plug it into a dimmer and turn it kind of on and off and did, you know, move that and broken. We were just always like playing around with different stuff. Um, like yeah. on some videos that we did music videos for like the bone thugs and, uh, Mackenzie Ziegler and just different music videos. Right. And there was like a moment where it's like, yo, there's like, there's gotta be like a better cre- like professional way. So we don't look like we're holding a broken beer bottle, like in front. Cause that's what <laughs> we're, we're doing stuff like that. And it just looked jank on set. It felt jank. And like, we just wanted a, a better way. And we also had used like prisms, but with prisms, there was no mountable solution. And you're like, sometimes you'd see your fingers and the re- way mm-hmm. the, the reflection bounce, or you would just smudge it up because you're oily hands and it, you couldn't really control it either. Cause you're like gripping this piece of glass. And so that's where the idea initially started was like, all right, Let's start with a prism. How could we mount this? And all credit to Tom. He's a very handy MacGyver of a guy. And he just figured it out and went through a lot of trial and error of like, he made this custom drill press and figured out, all right, how can I drill glass without it breaking and then mount something that's going to adhere through different weather conditions. And yeah, our very first thing or prototype or product was a quarter 20 mountable prism that you could thread a handle into or an ultralight arm and it was just like you know that was the like oh wow this is cool and that was kind of the the moment of like we have something here and so then we made one other alt prototype which was like this um prism orb and we literally what's crazy is we went up to shoot a short film um up north here in arizona and when we went to shoot the short film, we brought the two prototypes up with us and we just used our friends as models and just started playing with it and shooting some stuff. And the results we were getting were like, yo, this is crazy. And so we put a promo <laughs> video together. We built our website and like threw up like two product shots of each of them with this like promo video. And we launched in December of like 2018 uh, or 19, 2019. And, um, all like overnight, I think we <laughs> overnight we had like 300 something orders, and we're like, What? Oh. Like, and we hadn't even these were our prototypes, like, we don't even know if they, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't have no manufacturing, we don't know if they're gonna hold or last. And Tom never told me this, but he was like, Bro, I was, I was sweating on the inside, like, I, I didn't tell you, but he goes, I had no way way of knowing if this would like last if it was durable how to produce at a bigger scale like because he goes these ones yeah and so we literally you know got this warehouse uh again i call it a warehouse and it's like kind of the shared workspace in a grungy downtown warehouse and literally brought the drill press in there he built some shelves and we got a grinder and like we just literally like (laughs) put I just met him down there and we just like drilled and glued and UV and like did all this stuff and, and packaged them and figured out ship state. Yeah. And well, right at this time, my girlfriend was still living in LA. So she'd come down with us and help out and just, we were freezing our, it was during the winter. So we're freezing our asses (laughs) off in this warehouse, grinding and gluing stuff and like printing up orders on Shopify or not Shopify, Squarespace and boxing them up. Jacob, you're probably pretty wealthy at this point. Why the hell are you doing all this work yourself, man? Like, like you've got, you've got other businesses. Like what, what, 
is it about you that just has no quit? Like talk, like what can you, what advice do you have for people to just get out there and do the work? It's easy for me because I enjoy it. I love it. That's what it <laughs> always comes back to. It's like, I enjoyed working with my hands and building that and knowing people are excited to get this product. Like the, to me, I was, it, it, it excited me. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm gonna just hire some dude. He can come in and make, like, I just like yeah. building and making things and seeing the product through and seeing it come to putting that label on and driving it to the post office. Like I just enjoyed that. I liked that. And I think Tom the same way, like, and so it's, there's no real advice I can give other than like, you'll have that drive and work ethic for something that you truly love doing. You know what I mean? And mm. I just truly loved doing that. And I, you know, I still love doing it. And it's why we're still always kind of coming out with new products and different things, but it's not like, yeah, there's some secret recipe of like, how do you do that? It's just, I just enjoy doing it. And that's the only answer I can, I guess, come up with is, yeah, it's just I wake up. Ex- I was waking up excited to go do that. I was waking up excited to, to, go, to go freeze build a new in a, set, a to dingy go. warehouse. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was fun. It <laughs> felt it felt like it felt like the like you know you hear the story about like Steve Jobs in the the garage with the Apple computers. <laughs> like it's like well, why was he in there too? Well, not that he was like rich yeah. at that time or anything. It just it was it just felt like hey, this is our like Steve Jobs moment. Like this could be huge one day. And not that we had like crazy and and like ambitious goals for it other than like this was like kind of a fun side project hobby to all the production stuff we're doing and it's like we get to use them on set and it's cool to like see people wanting these stuff it, there i don't think there was really at that point a thing like yo we're gonna turn prism into this huge thing and we're gonna have this and this and i think it was just like one little bite at a time and at that time it was just kind of yeah building these mountable prisms and getting them out and then that quickly turned into like all right what can we make next like and just kind of keeps going from there you know? so how's prism <laughs> doing now because i just i just saw i just saw a video you posted on instagram where you actually were specific about some of the numbers for this year and i'm wondering if you would if you would share some of those numbers uh with the audience just because i I do love how open you are about it. And, um, and I think it's nice. It's nice to hear that like, yeah. there's this guy that was just passionate and then it paid off in a big way. Yeah. So Pr- Prism is an interesting story because it's like, obviously there's a, and what a lot of people I kind of explained in that post is like, people will look at like the top line number and be like, oh, wow, they're making so much money. But it's like, you can have a business that makes 10 million a year and has 11 million in expenses and you're losing sure. money. Like, yeah, not and there's lots yeah. of com- there's like cruise cruise ship companies are the worst with that. Like I know I just saw some article mm. where it's like they made a billion and five, but had are 2 billion in the hole with like, anyways. Um, yeah. Prism for us, like 2023, it really exploded when COVID hit. Like COVID, yeah. we had our, we really grew and expanded because I think people were just like, they had extra income from like all these checks and stuff, but we're also yeah. looking at like, what can they do in their, their free time to like learn and experiment themselves. And we're like buying these products to like, that were new and fresh and to, to play around with. And we really started growing right around there. Um, like a, probably a year or two in kind of taking off there. And then we had one of our best years, probably like, I think I want to say two years ago. And we hit like, we hit like 3.5 million uh, close, maybe encroaching on four, maybe encroaching on 4 million a year in revenue. And then this year, yeah, we'll cross, we'll for sure cross two, but it's crazy to see like kind of the, the dip 
and you know, over the last few years, even though we've gotten bigger and bigger, and I can only attribute that to there's a lot of the issue that I don't know if you saw with like B&H Photo and other companies of what they're doing with like our products, where they're, you know, copying, mimicking, using our name and the title of their products on Amazon or their website, even using our product photos and stuff. And so Whoa, I can no, only I imagine... Oh, you haven't? Yeah. So I can only imagine no. our revenue has been drastically cut because of these other companies just, um, you know, knocking us off. This is the craziest story. Ready? So I'm ready. we went, we went to, ah, dude, I have so many crazy stories when it comes to prism of just, yeah, people. <laughs> anyways, uh, we went to NAB this last year cause I was speaking on behalf of Lexar. Um, and I had like a little booth there with them and we're walking around and Tom is with me and we pull up to this booth. Uh, I might leave their name brand out of it. Just I don't want to cause any drama or anything. But we go to their booth and I'm like passing by and I see this TV playing images of what looks like our products. It's they're identical, but obviously like it's this other company's products. They're they're demoing. It's our it's like our kind of handheld prisms and our not that we invented like flare filters and stuff, right? Because we didn't, uh-huh, right? That, sure. that has yeah. existed. I don't want to pretend like we've invented some of the products that we sell. But a lot of the products that they're demoing are all of the ones that like we sell and even some of the ones that we like coined. And they're shooting it, this promo video, at our film location, the barracks. So it's like... Oh my and gosh. then. And then while I'm standing there, one of the reps comes up to me. It was just like, hey, Tom, Jake, like, love you guys, like everything you're doing. So it's like, you can't tell me that these companies aren't knowing and watching and replicating what we do. You, you, it's the same product that we sell. You shot at our location. You come up to me and recognize us like and talk like, so I can only imagine like you take that across so many different companies and brands out there that are doing the same thing to us. It's definitely like, cut into our revenue i would imagine like there's no way of actually like yeah, proving or knowing that but i can only imagine companies that have existed forever you know there's there's tiffin there's schneider some of these yeah. like companies that are just like ingrained in hollywood and so yeah. if they if they do see something that's successful and want to rip it off it would be i i would imagine pretty easy for them to do um, yeah but it's so not that's, even that's, it's really yeah. not even it's really not even them that's the issue it's all these like oh, really random like just companies that like I don't know if they're like have a like they're Chinese companies that have like a fake uh like there's just so like there's so if you go on Amazon and type in prism lens effects you'll just see an endless amount of like random company brand names that it's like dude I've never heard of that before mm. I've never heard of that mm. and like and they all use our name and the titles of their products and some of them like I said they even use like you'll find a photo of my wife as their product example like and it's like oh, a photo wow. I took and it's like it's <laughs> oh, it's man. it's re- it's really bad and really rampant and I just got B&H to take it down but B&H for the longest time was running an ad if you typed in prism lens effects on Google B&H was one of the very first ones to pop up the headline of their ad said prism lens effects filters and they'd be like hurry up and get your prism lens effects filters blah 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 and they don't we don't sell with them and so they are directly yeah. putting our name in an ad to try and deceive Oof. deceive customers to go to their website to buy these other companies that are knocking us off or making what we make and it's like super shady and not cool at all but it's like yeah, there's not much you could wow. do outside of like outside of try and call them out on social media because I had emailed them a couple of times about it and then DM them. They're like, oh, we'll get this taken care of. It never happened. And then finally, I made a video about it and I got their <laughs> attention because everyone was like railing on them. And I don't know. It's it's yeah. tough, man. It's it's there's with Prism. It's like 
there's a lot of like anytime you're making and selling a, a, a physical good, it's, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, that people don't understand, um, behind mm-hmm. the scenes, uh, you know, financially and just like in terms of like, you- yeah, workload. How did you start making the glass? So, so, so you had these prisms that was doing well. Everybody started getting excited and buying those. How did you start making well, so we're not filters? Yeah. So we we obviously are not like glass manufacturers or know how to yeah. make glass. So we would source and buy the glass and then put them to. Tom had found out how to like make or find a certain UV glue that would harden under like UV light. And he built this little oven that like, basically we <laughs> would take the glass and we would glue and build and do whatever, put them in the UV oven and it would harden. And that's how we were making our original like mountable prisms and our filters. And then it got to the point where we just like, you know, we're making everything by hand and trying to keep up, but also still do production jobs. And then eventually we had to find a manufacturer that we could partner with that could take our designs and be like, Hey, here's our design, make it like, yeah. cause there's only, yeah, of course we just, we couldn't, we couldn't keep up. And so, yeah, that's the, but the cool thing about it's like, yeah, we didn't from the jump for two years. We we're, I mean, dude, my hands were a wreck. Like for two years, just, it was just <laughs> constant drilling, gluing, packaging, like, and yeah, me and Tom took not, we didn't take a full break from production jobs, but we slowed way down. I mean, naturally, we didn't have like employees to like help us build and ship out mm-hmm. these orders. And so, yeah, it was, it was kind of an intense first one to two years, uh, but also very exciting at the same time, you know, so. So, so what are you doing? What are you doing now? What, what gets you uh, excited to wake up in the morning and go to work? What's, uh, what's the thing that's like, that's, that's driving you now? Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's something different every day. I think like with doing all of the kind of having all the different companies and businesses that I do, that's like what keeps me going. I, if I could, if I only had to do one thing, like if literally if I had to stop doing everything or, and only direct music videos, like, or only direct films, like I'd go crazy. Like, I just feel like Mm. I don't, I don't work that way. Like I work well with like one day I'm doing this one day I'm building this one day I'm coming up with an idea for this. And so I just like, even though it's a lot of work, I like having my hands in all these different things. And that's what excites me is like, all right, what's the next product we can build? What's the next studio? What's the next idea? Like I just like building and making things. And so there's, I always got ideas rattling around in my brain and it's, yeah, then it's, yeah. What, what today am I working on? And I don't know, that's, that's just kind of what excites me is just always doing something different, fresh, new, and what can I build and create? Yeah. I mean, what, I don't know if what that advice do you it. have then? Uh, no, that's great. That's perfect. What advice do you have for young creatives starting out? Um, kind of what, probably kind of what we talked on earlier, um, is like, you know, if you're just starting out, you gotta kind of actively, go and seek out the clients that you want to work with and try and build relationships. And if that's starting, like not charging them for videos so you can build your reel and build those relationships and build off of that, that, that was like super important for me. And I know I could probably name five other people off the top of my head that did a very similar thing, including Tom, right? He wanted, he came in Mm -hmm. with me and just built those relationships. So I think that's super important early on. And then, uh, yeah, ultimately the, the other thing is like, make sure whatever you're pursuing is something that you really do enjoy doing and you love to do it and not because you think you can just make a bunch of money doing it. Uh, cause mm-hmm. it's at some point, at some point it's going to get hard at some, like it, there's no easy path to success with 
Prism, with the film studios, with my production company, there's always moments and seasons of like, dude, this is hard as fuck. I just want to, I just want to stop. I just want to quit. Like I, <laughs> I want to do something else. Like it's just cause naturally yeah. it's like, you're going to have those moments. And, and so the only way to get through that is if you really do, um, love what you do and what you, you like what you do. So just don't get into something for the wrong reasons just because, yeah, you think, ah, oh, I can make some good money doing this. I'm going I'm to start doing this. It's like, that's not the right reason to start. So everything, everything that I do stems from, um, not only like kind of the filmmaking creative world, but it's something that I really enjoy doing, you know? Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much for jumping on. This was honestly yeah. one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> I'm inspired. No, no. <laughs> I'm gonna go. No, I'm gonna go. I appreciate uh, that. Look for, look for ways to to scale here. Dude, uh, in yeah. A <laughs> we'll no, look for a 40 awesome. acre piece of uh, desert land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm always crazy. on the hunt too. No, no, I, it was crazy. It was crazy. That's for sure. Cool. But. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate your time. No, thank you. Whoa, what did I tell you? Man, oh man. Was that not just one of your favorite episodes? It was one of mine. I I, uh, I don't know, there was something about it. Um, I'm, I'm like inspired. I just want to go out and build something right now. You know, like, I don't know if it's locations or a movie or, uh, you know, a piece of glass, a broken beer bottle in front of a lens. I just want to go make something. So I'm, I'm hoping you guys got a little bit of that same energy that I did. Let's go out and make something. After all, we're artists. That's what we want. That's what we crave. Let's go create this week, guys. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.